0: want to welcome you back if you're with us here again this evening and welcome you for the first time if you're just joining us tonight. I appreciate the singing. It's been beautiful singing um, all through today. As I mentioned earlier, we don't have some of these songs, especially I think all of them this evening aren't in our books, so they're very peppy and encouraging and I've enjoyed them. I hope uh, that this morning's sermon was enjoyable to you. If you were with us, And beyond just enjoying a sermon, I hope that it provokes you to love and good works in some way or another. I find myself sometimes, I set out to build an encouraging lesson. And I was telling Trevor this a little while back, I set out to build an encourager, and I get it built, and I preach it, and I say, man, I just feel like I I just came in with a paddle again, you know? And, And I don't like feeling that way because I, I think it's important to to have comforting sermons because I need comforting so often myself. But I hope this evening, as we study through God's uh, Word again together, that you feel comforted and encouraged in some way as we look through the Scriptures. I want you to know you're valuable to someone. That's what we want to talk about a little bit this evening. I want to approach this through maybe a little bit different verse than we're used to, but I want to start in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. In Galatians 6, starting in verse 9, Paul said to the Galatians, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And I think that there's a major importance in this to remember that there there is something more than than just this life waiting for us, if we'll continue to serve and we'll continue to do and not let weariness get the better of us. But there is a truth in this. There is a truth that as humans we are frail, and we are not people who have an everlasting supply of energy. And there are different events and situations in life that after time they just wear on us. There are times where you may go gangbusters for a while and you may be very zealous for the Lord and you do everything you can for your neighbors and for your friends and for yourself and for your community and everybody else. But sometimes we just wear out. And he says here, don't be weary in well doing. I think one of the major problems, one of the biggest dangers of becoming weary and well-doing is what we do in those times is that we forget just how valuable that we really are to the kingdom of God. And as we sit back and we take a break from our labors and our work, so to speak, we forget what the rest of the people around us might be missing. We forget what the Lord has been watching in us and what He expects of us. And we forget just how valuable we are. I'd like to use a story to illustrate that this evening. It's a story of someone you're very familiar with in the scriptures. I find myself building lessons and studies constantly around this prophet Elijah in the scriptures. And, And although maybe you can relate to Elijah too in some ways, I hope you can't relate to him in some ways. The story we're going to think about here this evening is, is not so flattering in some ways for them, but it is very much human. Starting, I mean, you look back into the first book of Kings, and things are getting pretty rough in the northern kingdom where Elijah's at. And it gets to a point where God's people, especially the prophets, have got to go into hiding. Jezebel and her puppet husband Ahab, they've been wreaking havoc of the Lord's kingdom for a while. And they are, they are major supporters and worshipers of Baal. There's been uh, a genocide, essentially, of, of the priests of God. And they're trying to eradicate righteousness in that sense. People like Obadiah, they're hiding, they're hiding priests in caves and things like that, trying to shelter them from the murder that is awaiting them by Jezebel and Ahab. And, and here Elijah sits in this nation and he's waiting. And he's waiting, and the drought is going on, and the times are tough for God's people. And finally, one day God comes to him, first Kings nineteen, and he said, It's time. It's time for the drought to end. And imagine hearing those words. You know, imagine being in this place in this time where nothing has been going your way for an extended period and, and your friends and your loved ones, they're being destroyed around you. Nothing can can just stop everything that you've tried. hasn't worked and finally God says now it's time to turn the tide imagine the excitement you feel and Elijah he rises to the occasion he said all right what do we do and God said go meet Ahab and he goes wait a minute you're trying to get me killed God and And he says, no, it's time. I said, it's time. So Elijah, he arms himself with some of that boldness and and courage that we talked about this morning, and he sets off to meet Ahab. And there it sets the stage for the epic sacrifice off. That's like a dance off, but with more blood, you know, situation like that. And and what that was, was he comes to all these priests of, of Baal, and he issues a challenge to them. And he says, let's take two bulls. You make an altar. I'll make an altar. You take a bull. I'll take a bull. We'll chop them into pieces. We'll each put them on our altar, and then one of us will take turns. And you can even go first. And you call on your God. I'll call on my God. And let's see which one takes the sacrifice quicker. That's the get, the challenge that he throws down. And you'll remember how the story goes. That the priests of Baal, what they did is they they set the stage for their uh, for their sacrifice. They have the altar laid out. They have the pieces of meat upon the fire, and it said they cried out night and day and they leaped upon the altar and they screamed out for them and they cut themselves and different things like that and some of the best sarcasm maybe, maybe some of the only sarcasm to an extent you'll see in the Bible is where, where Elijah looks at these guys and he, gets, he says guys what's going on I'm concerned for you maybe, maybe you're just not yelling loud enough and he can't hear you maybe he's on vacation and you gotta wait a little while maybe he's sleeping Get a little bit louder and wake him up. And he gives them a really hard time because, you know, their God who is formed with hands and imaginations of mankind, he is not going to reply to the requests. No matter how long they danced on the altar, no matter how long they cut themselves and screamed out to the heavens, he would not reply. He only existed in the minds of mankind. And finally, and finally, Elijah said, enough of this. Enough of this. It's my turn. And he said, but just to make it a little bit more fair, I know you've had a rough go of it, boy, so I want you to, to dig a trench all the way around my altar, all the way around the place where I'm going to have a sacrifice. Now I want you to take a barrel of water, and I want you to throw it inside of that trench. You know what? Do it again. You know what? Do it again. You know what? Take another bucket, throw it on top of the altar. You ever try to, to light a fire with, with wood that's wet? It doesn't work real good. And so he makes this extremely difficult for himself. So it would seem... To anyone watching? And then as he stands beside this altar, he cries out to the Lord God of Israel, and with flames from above, he licks clean the altar of its meat and its wood, soaked with all of its water. He takes the water from the trenches with that flame. And I can't imagine seeing that that day, but... But it inspired some change, at least momentarily, in Ahab. You remember, he goes, he cries out, and, and for at least a moment, he, he recognized the authority of God. And then, uh, then Elijah, he goes on a rampage and fighting against these priests of Baal who slaughtered the priests of God before. And he kills a whole bunch of them, and he fights this bloody battle, and he emerges from this battle. And, and I'll tell ta- you, you know the feeling Whenever you've really been in the thick of it and you come out of this and you've emerged with a soul, one for Christ, and you think, it's going to be good now. It's going to get better. We can do this. And then it's like Satan throws you another curveball. And that's what happened. He, God had told him the time is now and he thought that this was where it was smooth sailing from here on out. He wins this giant victory for the Lord. And then Jezebel sends word. Hey, I know you killed my priests, and I'm going to do the same thing to you. And that's where I pick up in brief the story of Elijah, because we see in 1 Kings 19, and verse 4, that he is pretty, uh, pretty disgusted with the situation. And he said he went a day's journey into the wilderness in 1 Kings 19 and 4, and he came and he sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and he said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my fathers. He was weary and well-doing, wouldn't you say? Uh, what, what more can I do? I can't do anything. I'm not any good. A little later, as he'd gone further out into the wilderness and is having a second conversation with God, he says this, I've been jealous for the Lord God of Israel, or Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and have slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away also. He's, he's very depressed. I mean, we'd call this clinical depression if there was ever a case of it. It's now, because what can I do, man? I go into hiding. Things don't get better. You tell me the time is now, and I come out. I, I you know, I do what you said. I defeated them in this in the sacrifice challenge. I defeat them in battle. I'm standing up for you, and I'm all alone. And it hasn't done any good. And they're gonna kill me now. Just, just kill me. Just end this for me. I can't take this anymore. I'm done. And I hope you've never felt that way. I hope that you've never felt that low. But if you are really laboring in the kingdom of God, there are times in your life where you get weary with being the one where you feel like I'm trying to do the right thing all the time and all I'm facing is roadblock after roadblock, hurdle after hurdle, dart after dart. And sometimes it's easy to just sit back and say, this is worthless. I can't do it anymore. And what you and I need to recognize is that in those moments, it's in those moments we need to realize what the Lord is looking at us and what He is expecting from us. One of the things that He forgot, that Elijah forgot in this moment, is that God had a plan. You remember, God had told him, now's the time, right? We're going to turn this thing around. He wasn't just going to let it end right there when God makes a promise. He keeps that promise. And you recognize here here shortly after this, he tells him exactly his plans for Elijah. He said, you're not going to be alone forever, Elijah, besides there being 7,000 other people who haven't bowed and knee to Baal. He said, you're going to get to go anoint a king, Hazel, to be king over Syria. That's kind of unorthodox. This is a this is a pagan nation, or it's a secular nation, not even in Israel. And he said, and then in Israel, you're going to put Jehu, the son of Nimshi." into the kingship he was probably the out of all the 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 treacherous and bad kings that they had he was probably the best that they ever had in the northern kingdom and he said and then you're going to have Elisha Elisha became like a son to him as he trained him to take that prophet's mantle and to carry on the tradition of serving in God's kingdom he said things are going to get better Elijah you can't give up now you think about everyone else around you. Think about, he said, I'm going to make it better for the world out there. And you're going to be a part of that by giving them a king. I'm going to make it better for Israel. I'm going to give them a better king, but you've got to work to put him in. You don't have to do this alone forever. I'm going to give you somebody to work with you and beside you. Someone you can train. And he said, I don't want you to forget there's so many other people around you. There's so many. People are counting on you, brothers and sisters. God is counting on you. Whenever we see the future is being so bleak and so dark and that I can't accomplish anything and I can't do anything anymore, you need to recognize that you are valuable to somebody just like Elijah was you're valuable inside of the kingdom of God brothers and sisters in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 starting in verse 14 he says for the body is not one member but many if the foot shall say because I'm not the hand and I'm not of the body is therefore not of the body and if the ear will say because I'm not of the eye I'm not of the body is it therefore not of the body and if the whole body were an eye where were the hearing and if the whole were not the hearing or the whole were the hearing then where's the smelling and now had God set the members every one of them in the body as it has pleased him I mean if you haven't been around me a whole lot one of the things you'll find out is one of the blessings of God that I enjoy physically in this world is food I enjoy eating food but I don't just enjoy eating food and and quenching my hunger you know what I like about food I like seeing food (laughs) be honest find myself watching these little videos sometimes on YouTube and people cooking up a steak and And seeing them slice that steak open, I go, no, that looks good right there. Get hungry, get up for a midnight snack, you know. I like, I don't like just looking at food. I like smelling food. I don't like the smell of popcorn, I'll be honest. But I do like the smell of, you know, hamburgers cooking on the grill. I like the smell of, of a vanilla malt with a little bit of peanut butter in it. Things like that. I like to enjoy food with all of my senses, and I'm thankful for all of those senses, just as you're thankful for those senses. Sometimes those senses save us some hassle when they warn us that there's some things that aren't so great. Nose picks that up before a lot of things sometimes. And I'll tell you, inside of the body, we, know it, we need all of these senses. We need all of the members of the body to do their job, and we talk about this all the time, as he does in this passage, is that not everybody fulfills the same function and the same role, but every now and then we get to looking around at, at how the hand is doing, we go, man, I just wish I was a hand. The hand is so handy, pun intended, you know. The hand is good. The hand maybe, brother... Brother Van Miller or Brother Sean Zeebock, and we might look at the, some of the things that they do and go, man, I wish I could do what they do. And we forget that we're important too. Sometimes we look at the ears in the church, and and I don't know if this is a good comparison, but it, the ears might be L&A you know? You know, you got nice ears, I guess. <laughs> but we might watch the things that someone else brings to the table, is my point. And, and we forget that We have something to bring too. Not because we're great and we're awesome, but because God has endowed you with gifts. Uh, What we forget is that whenever God puts us into the kingdom, he did it at his own pleasure. God knows what he's doing. Whenever he allows you into the kingdom, you know what he did? Look at the end of verse 18. He said that he has placed every member or set every member in the body as it hath pleased him. And brothers and sisters, it pleased God to put you into this body. It pleased him for wherever you came from in the world or the community or whatever lifestyle, whatever sin style, he he sanctified you and he cleansed you with the blood of his son and then he's got a plan for you. Why? Because you're valuable to the people around you. You don't think you're valuable? I want you to look around at these people that you do admire admire around you and, and think about what it'd be like if they were not doing their job. Imagine if they weren't doing their job. Think about some of the basic things that we'd start missing in the church. Here's a promise that Jesus gave in Mark chapter 10, a promise that depends on you and me to make sure that it becomes fulfilled. Mark 10, verse 29 through 30, And Jesus answered, he said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother, or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the world to come, eternal life. Life. One of the greatest blessings of the church is the relationships that we have. I'll be honest, there were people who filled roles for me that I didn't know that I need filled in my life. I, mean, I got some good parents. A lot of you know my parents. I appreciate my parents. I love my parents. My parents realized that I needed some things. I needed some things that, they hadn't, that I hadn't gotten at some point. You know what they did? They found some people to give me something I didn't have. Something I didn't know I needed when I was a kid. So they started letting me travel along with some of these evangelists. And you know where I found myself? I found myself on the road in strange places. Places I didn't know that there was another church. Places where I didn't know there was other church folks. I found myself waking up homes of, in homes of people that I didn't know very well. And I found myself at these strange tables being treated not like a stranger. I found myself waking up in the morning and... On Jay and Gay Henderson's couch. And being treated like I was one of their kids. Being taught how to sew on buttons, Miss Gay. That's where I learned how to sew a button on my shirts. I wore out a couch at Rusty Springer's house over the course of a couple summers. He gave it to me whenever I moved away from home. And I proceeded to wear it out some more. I've had people in my life who... Who were diligent enough to fulfill their Titus two roles... And brave enough to step up to an arrogant young man and to tell me that I needed to change some things. Where would I be? Where would I be without the people in the church who used their gifts? The ones who have struggled and failed and worked and applied God's word and gotten better. The ones who said, you know what, I can help you to be more sober-minded. You know what, I can help you to be a better father, or to be a better husband, or to be a better teacher, or or maybe even carry a tune in the bucket, any of those things. What would happen if all of the people who are good at hospitality stopped caring for folks? Where would we be without Diana Cinnamon Cinnamon Rolls? Where would we be without the, the men's studies that somebody hosts in their homes? The kids' studies. Where would we be without the people that whenever you walk in the building know immediately that there's something wrong with you in your life and just let you know I'm here for you? What if the comforters stopped comforting? What if the encouragers stopped comforting? Encouraging? What if the teachers stopped teaching? What if the huggers quit hugging? Brothers and sisters, you're important. And you're valuable. I want you to think about the folks who come out from outside of this kingdom. There is many times, and I believe especially in these times, people really were risking something when they joined the kingdom of God, weren't they? whenever they name the name of Jesus Christ, they might leave father and mother and house for sure because father and mother and house and sisters and and even their own land and people, they might forsake them and they might say, we don't want anything to do with you. If you're going to follow this Christ, we don't want nothing to do with you. That seems like a foreign concept, but I see that. I see that consistently with people who finally have the courage to say no to themselves and yes to Christ and their family says, not if you're going to follow that doctrine. Not if you're you're going to follow that version of Jesus, the Bible version. You know what they need in their life? They need a new dad. They need a new mama. They need new brothers and sisters that that they can lean on. You're filling voids in people's lives, brothers and sisters. Whenever you get worn out and you get tired and you just feel like you have nothing to offer anymore, remember that God said you play a vital and valuable role in the kingdom, and that all of these people in here and maybe other places, they're depending on you. Maybe to collect your breath. Maybe to, to get a little bit of rest, but to get back out there and fill your role in the kingdom. There's so many different things that you can be valuable for. The list could go on and on, but He's told us to do good for all people, especially those in the household of faith. We ought to bear burdens and we fulfill the law of Christ. We ought to serve one another in love. We need to rejoice with people and mourn with people. We need to comfort and edify or build people up. The list could go on and on and all day. If you want to know, well, what can I do that's valuable in this kingdom, in my own congregation, get with your elders, get with your deacons, get with the elders' wives or the deacons' wives and say, What is it that we can do? Where are the needs at? I guarantee you there's a need somewhere. I guarantee you there's somebody who needs studied with or needs to practice the study on somebody. There's somebody who needs to be prayed with or that needs to be practicing praying for somebody. You'll find a place. Just realize you're valuable and exercise that value inside of the church. Sometimes, whenever we get worn out and we're tired, when we get sick of rejection and all the pain that goes along with it, like we talked about this morning, we forget that our value just doesn't land inside of this room, and not just on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, and Wednesday nights. But our value extends beyond the, the walls of these families' homes and out into the communities around us. In Luke chapter ten and verse two, Jesus said, "Verily, or the harvest is truly great, but the labors are few. Pray therefore, the Lord of harvest, that He would send forth labors into His harvest." Sometimes we get down about the gospel. We do. I hear people. I hear people all the time say, "Well, I just don't think anybody wants the truth anymore." You feel that way? I think sometimes it's easy to to feel that way when you face a certain amount of rejection. But as Jesus looked around at all these people that he knew, he's in a world of people that are going to reject him. His own people are going to reject him. But Jesus looks around and goes, great opportunity, guys. It's great. The field's white. You know what we're missing? We're not missing opportunity. We're missing laborers. So what's he do? He says, pray for laborers. You pray for those labors? I hope that you do. I'm sure that you do. I know you're encouraged to do that on a consistent basis. Sometimes, personally, we pray for these people to enter in our labors. You know what I mean? There are times where I felt like I've crossed every bridge that I can cross with a person and that I have opened every door that I possibly can open with a person and that I've finally run out of my my supply of access or influence to be able to help them anymore, to be able to move them another inch closer to Christ. And that frustrates me. I don't guess it just frustrates me. It breaks my heart because you just wish there's something you could do. And you know what my recourse is? It's the same, it's the only recourse you know you have at those moments. What do you start doing? You hit your knees and you start praying. And whether it's your family member, please be with my son. Please be with him, Lord, and turn his heart and bring him back to him. Please, Lord, if there is somebody out there that's working in the kingdom, please let them have the ability to touch him. Please touch the heart of my friend. I hope that the church can be there and and maybe be an influence. Somebody will influence them to do the right thing. That's what we pray. You've prayed that prayer. I guarantee it. You know what you need to remember, brothers and sisters? As much or as many times as you have prayed that prayer, somebody else in here has been praying the same one. And as much as they may be the answer to your prayer, you've got to be the answer to theirs. So your value lies in stepping up to the plate to looking out for opportunities to reach out to those in the community, into the families of the folks that you love and serving, because the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few and we need to join the harvest. Folks, there is a world of people who may not know that they need Christ, but they need him and they need him bad and they're not going to have it with you. It seems like such an easy proposition. I always feel like Romans 10 makes it sound like it's going to be very simple, especially the way it starts. Romans 10:13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't get me wrong. I think that the gospel is a very simple process that the Lord laid out for us to be saved. It's simple. And we know whenever we look through the example of Paul that calling upon the name of the Lord and being saved means that we believe in faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we obey that gospel. It's a simple process. And you should say, well, I mean, if that's all it entails, obeying this gospel, why aren't more people doing it? Well, he gives the answer. He said they, they can't call on him if they've never believed on him. And, and they can't believe on them if they've never heard about him. And they can't hear it about him if nobody goes and nobody will go if they're not sent. And he said, how beautiful of feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. We spent a lot of time this morning talking about being bold and about going and about doing. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time this evening talking about that, but I want you to know how valuable you are. We talked about body parts and how important and valuable they are pretty ears, things like that. I say that just so you know to embarrass on a little bit. I'll hear about it later. We think about different body parts being pretty. Somebody's got pretty long hair. I don't got a lot of that anymore. Especially not pretty. And not a lot of it for that matter. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I don't often think of body parts like feet being pretty. Do you? In fact, I know a lot of people that think I don't want people's feet touching me. But here you have the Bible talking about feet being beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Are, you pre- are your feet pretty? Do you have beautiful feet? I- I'll tell you this. I know mine aren't. I won't describe them to you. I know we all want to eat here in a little bit. But I've never looked at them and go, my goodness. You were just blessed by God. It just they just not like that. But you know, God looks at the feet of all the disciples who will fight down the fears and they'll fight down the weariness and they'll fight fight off all the doubts and they'll say, I'll go and I'll do. I'll put it on the line again. For my brother, I'll put it on the line. I'll go and I'll try one more time. I'll go teach. He looks at your feet and he says, how beautiful. And it's a compliment of the highest proportions are your feet pretty in the eyes of God because you have gone and that you've used your ability to touch the world you're valuable to the Lord if you don't tell them who will I think that's what we have to think about I don't live out here I'm going to get to spend a little bit of time laboring in, in the vineyard that God has out here with you you've let me and, and Tom and some others enter into your labors I'm not going to spend a full year here laboring you know these people You see them at the gas stations. You talk with them over the little intercoms at Sonic. You go to school with them. You build these relationships with people. That's the opportunity that you have, and you've got to parlay that. Parlay those opportunities and those relationships into a moment where you're going to say, you know what, I am valuable to you because I have a message that is better than anything else you've heard. Yeah, but they've already got a church home. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they've already got a church home. Well, but they already have a faith in something. What is their faith in? If people are investing in something that you know isn't scriptural or in right or if if that place where they go isn't teaching the truth and offering eternity, do them some good and show them the value you have in their life. Not because you're great, not because you're all wise, not because you're all knowing, but because you have a message that It's gonna change their life. And maybe only you will be the one to have that influence. So in your circles of of opportunity and influence, reach out. Whenever you're worn out and you're tired of evangelizing, of of facing the no's and the leave me alone's and maybe the slam doors or the cold shoulders, don't keep your mouth shut. I want you to recognize how valuable you are and keep talking. Keep those feet pretty. Brothers and sisters, if that's not enough for you and me to realize that People are depending on us in our home congregations and on our communities. I'm going to go back to something even more basic than that. I'm going to go back to the time that, in general, God created humanity. You remember in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 said, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And at this point, it's not a whole lot different from the animals that he just made. They're carbon-based life forms. He made them out of the dust ground like you and me. But then it got a little bit different after that. It said, and man became a living soul. And I think you and I forget just how important that part is. We talk about it all the time. We're doing five-part studies and teaching people about creation. And we say, look, there's three parts to man. There's the, the physical, and that's the body. And there's the spirit that's alive for us. And then there's the soul that lasts forever. And that's important. You take care of that soul. But I want you to stop a minute. And I want you to think about how valuable you are to God. Because God didn't just give you this random thing that lasts forever what god did is he said out of all of my creation i'm going to give you you mankind the one thing in nature that will not do what i created it to do i will give you a piece of me and he gave us a piece of eternity something that's going to last forever you think you're not valuable to god every person who's walked on this earth is valuable to god brothers and sisters Matthew 16 and 26, he said, For what does a man profit if he gains the whole world? He loses his own soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? God said, No matter how much money you had, if you possess the entire world, it's not worth more than the soul. Who's given you a more expensive gift than that? You know, Christmas is one of those times, I remember from a little kid, you're waiting for the biggest and best gift. Uh, you know what I remember being the best gift when I was growing up? It was pretty, pretty similar every year. It was a football. That's what I wanted. And if I got a football, a ball of some type, it was a good year. I remember, you know, whenever I first moved out of the house, though, my parents got me a set of power tools. That felt like an even better gift. And never turned down a good power tool at Christmas time. Sometimes people spend an amount of money, that's what I remember thinking when my folks bought me that kit of power tools, and I thought, holy smokes. This is a whole kit. It wasn't just one power tool. It was a whole kit, and oh, Maybe I'm just showing how much of a hillbilly I am, but I thought, this is too much at the time. Thought it was a pretty incredible gift. But it pales in comparison to what God is offering you and me. A chance of everlasting life. And the odds are pretty good. The odds are pretty good if we put our faith in Jesus the odds are pretty good if we don't give up, if we're not weary and well-doing. Consider the value of your soul and let that, let that motivate you to be better. That's, and that's all, all people's souls. But I want you to know beyond that the value that God has in you. Psalms 139 and verse 1, the psalmist said, Oh Lord, you know me or you've searched me and you know me. How well does he know you? Verse 13, it said, For you possess my reins. You've covered me in my mother's womb, and I will praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous of your works. And my soul knoweth right well, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. I'll tell you some pretty cool experiences for me in life as, as becoming a parent for the first time. My, my experiences were different. With the first, with Miles, uh, who was the second child, got, got off base there. Miles is the youngest. So that's the second child. He was a surprise, in the sense that we knew we were having him, but Ellen said, you know, why don't we, why don't we not find out if he's gonna be a boy or a girl? And I'll be honest, I wasn't really into that. I thought, uh, you know, we really should plan a lot more than just waiting till the last second. But to be honest, it turned out to be one of the best surprises I've ever had in my life. To just have a doctor turn around and say congratulations it's a and it's a boy it was, it was a special experience alternately with my daughter the oldest one we went through all of the doctor's visits and the ultrasounds and and a whole lot of tech i don't understand how it all works but in my crude layman's terms here's what happened and i know a lot of you have been through this we got a couple of our first social sounds which i guess are just Regular old 3 d ultrasounds, someone can correct me later what they are, and somehow they they take a picture of that baby inside of you, and it starts out where we we get an image and they say that's the baby right there, and we affectionately refer to that little dot as little peanut, you know a lot of the time you don't you can't see a lot of details but that's your baby and you look at that little dot in that picture and you think oh my goodness I'm going to be a daddy and I remember feeling that way and I would drive home and I remember driving home and and talking to Ellen and then looking at the picture and then looking at the road and looking at the picture because you're excited a cooler picture than that came along several months later it was the 4D image I don't know if you've ever seen the 4D image but it is so vivid that it's almost a little bit creepy to be frank (laughs) Because the image they can see of that baby inside of a woman's belly, you, you start, you see the contours of the cheeks. And you see the little hands turning and moving and the fingers turning over. And I thought at that moment, this is unreal that I can know my child this well with this type of technology. You know what I didn't know? What I didn't know about Tori Joe is what was her voice going to sound like? What's her favorite food going to be? What's going to be her favorite pastime? Will she like to read or will she not like to read? Is she going to be quiet or is she going to be shy? I didn't know those things. But I'll tell you, God knows those things about you because he cares. And as you're being formed in the belly, he knows who you are. Mom and daddy, we're proud. We're excited. We have a lot of anticipation. But there's a lot of questions of what is it going to be? How are they going to be? What are they going to be? I said a lot of what are you going to is there. I know. We got a lot of questions, but God just knows because he's got an interest in you before anybody else knows who you are, what you sound like, or what you're really going to look like. That 4D picture doesn't hold a candle to holding your baby for the first time, to having that finger wrap around your finger for the first time, but God is getting that intimate long before that point. God knows you personally, and he cares about you personally. You're valuable to him. In Matthew 10, verse 29, Jesus is talking about the value of sparrows there. And he says, There are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them will not fall on the ground without your father or your father knowing about it. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, you're of more value than many sparrows. I've mentioned to you before that I've started losing my hair. That was a process I suspected was happening, but I didn't know for sure for a while. Because as I would talk to Ellen about it, I would say, you know what? If I lose my hair like my dad, I'm going to shave it all off. And so, you know what Ellen did? What Ellen started doing is I'd say, Do you think I'm losing my hair? And she'd say, Nope. Nope, you're not losing your hair. So I'd ask her every now and then, Because I think I'm losing my hair. And she'd say, Nope. One night we were sitting there in bed. We were sitting there in bed. just watching TV, and out of the corner of my eye, I caught her staring at me, and I was like, what, what's going on? Nothing, nothing. She busily watches TV again. I've caught her a minute. What's going on? Nothing. And finally, I'm like, all right, come on. I keep catching you staring at me. What's going on? And she said, you're not gonna shave your head, are you? She noticed. I couldn't see the top of it. I didn't know how bad it was getting, but it's gotten pretty bad. I couldn't tell you when each one of those follicles was turning loose. But God knew. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine him taking some, as, as much interest in me, this worm, this sinful creature, one of the reasons his own son had to die, and that he has enough care that every time a hair turns loose, he takes note of that. You don't think he's watching you in your low moments of life? You don't think he doesn't see you when you're facing family anguish? You don't think he doesn't see you whenever you're putting it all on the line for your brothers and sisters and you're getting reviled like Jesus warns about? He sees it. You think he doesn't see you when you feel like you work and you work and you work and it's a thankless job all day long. He sees it and he is not, he is, boy, he is not unthankful to forget your work and your labor of love. He remembers it. He knows each tear that you've shed in his name, he knows each act of love and mercy. He knows each time you fought to be forgiven, he knows each time you have fought against your fears to speak up. He knows, he knows. And he cares. You know why? Because you're valuable to him. You're valuable to him on so many levels. He said about humanity that all of us, each and every one of us, we're so important. He loved you so much. He was willing to give his only begotten son. did Then he tells that in, in John 3, 16, we don't deserve it. It's not like we were good little kids. He said, congratulations, here's a reward. We're undeserving of that type of attention. We're undeserving of that type of value. But he placed that on you. In Romans 5, in verse 6, he says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for us. For the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commends his love towards us. And the wall that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified, blessed blood, we'll be saved from wrath through him. For if when we're enemies, we're reconciled by God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, will be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. For, this, for those inside of Christ, he says that his care is even much more. Right? For those who have received atonement, much more we can receive the blessings of God. You know why? Because God loves you. Your value, (laughs) your value was beyond that of the life of his own son. That he was willing to let his own son come to earth and get treated like trash by folks like you and me. Let him die on a cross because you're that valuable. Life is hard. You're just a frail human. Just like Elijah. Just like Jeremiah just like Moses and just like David and just like Paul and just like Peter and just like Lee and just like Lyle and and Neil and anybody else. We're just all human and you're going to get worn out. Trials are going to wear on you. Life's going to throw things at you. You don't know if you're going to be able to make it through. But Take a step back. Lean on a brother and sister for a little bit. Say a few prayers. Get a hug. And then don't be weary and well-doing. Get back up and fight again. Because you know what? Somebody else out there is needing that respite that only your hug can provide, that only your comfort, your presence can provide, that only your advice can provide that only your encouragement can provide, maybe that only your rebuke can provide. Somebody is waiting for you to say, all right, I'm ready to go do it again. Then go do it, because you're valuable. Brothers and sisters, you're valuable over the next couple weeks. As you have an opportunity to lend a hand to the work of the church, I encourage you to do that. But you're going to be valuable for as long as the Lord gives you the opportunity to serve in His kingdom don't be weary in well-doing for in due season you'll reap a reward that's far greater than anything that that this life recompenses you for your troubles just don't faint this evening if you haven't been feeling your value why don't you come forward and sit on one of these pews up here and let the family of god show you how much they love you and let us petition our lord who we know loves you deeply in prayer. And let us give you whatever help that you need to get up and to move forward and not be wearying well-doing. Please come while we sing this last song.